I'm not saying that things were boring in Midland, Texas when I was growing up, but we did do a lot of, well, I guess you'd just call them prank phone calls growing up. During the day, we would call and we would call someone and say, is John there? And they would say, no, there's no John. And so we'd wait about five minutes and call them back, is John there? No, there's no John. Finally, in five more minutes, somebody would call and say, hey, this is John, do I have any messages? <laughs> of course, it was so innocent back then. We could call someone, just a random number, and say, mom or dad, I'm ready to come home, come get me. And you could just hear the panic on the other end of the phone. And then we would say, I'm at a pay phone and I've just spent my last dime. Could you call my parents for me? And when they thought it was a wrong number, and then we gave them yet another made up number. And so um, it was just uh, one of those things we did. Of course, you know, the, is your refrigerator running? And uh, we, we did that one. And, and then uh, my favorite one was we'd call and say, this is John James from Southwestern Bell. And we've been having some trouble with the phones in your neighborhood. And so we need you to help us blow out the phone lines. And someone would say, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, just hold your hand over the, over the earpiece, but take the mouthpiece and just blow into it several times really hard, and that'll help us blow out the phone lines. And in a minute, you hear this. <laughs> oh, we had lots of fun back in the day. Um, you know those things? You know, you've heard that saying, what goes around comes around. And uh, now I get five to ten unwanted phone calls every day every day. Uh, the good news is I've got warranty on my car that'll last from now till eternity. I've got that much from those, those phone calls. Our Lebanon group called and all is good with them. They are worshiping today. And in true Holland form, Grant Holland sends this word to us. Grant says they're in Lebanon. How do you, what do you call Lebanon when, it, when it's after dark? Lebanon. That was what he said today, and I told him I would be sure and share that with you. I told Trevor, I said, I'll share that with the congregation. Trevor writes back and says, that made Grant's day. He's good for the rest of the mission trip. So this morning, we're going to talk about answering the call, no matter how crazy it might be. If you have your Bibles, let's look in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, we'll start with verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the ones who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. You know, we, we see these passage. It's, a, it's one of my favorites, and we'll look at more of it. But we, when you look at this, we notice God calls. And when you look at this verse, we say God calls, and, and God's the one that does the calling, not us. We don't decide all of a sudden that we're going to, to follow God. God has to initiate it. God, God calls us. Look at the I will statements. I will make you. I will bless you. I will, do, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse. God does the calling. The emphasis is on God. So here he calls Abram, his name is Abram in this passage. I may say Abraham several times. That's, that's, uh, that's his name later in this book. But God calls Abram from options to obedience. He calls him from attitude to action. He calls him from self to service and from possessions to promise. We see God doing this all through Scripture. 
not long ago, President George Bush was in the Houston airport. He's kind of walking around getting ready for a flight. And President Bush sees a man standing over uh, across the way in a long white robe, flowing hair with a staff. President Bush says, I think that's Moses. And he tells the Secret Service, that's, that's got to be Moses. So President Bush goes over to the man and he says, are you Moses? And the man wouldn't look at him, wouldn't talk to him, wouldn't acknowledge him at all. So President Bush approaches him a second time and says, are you Moses? And the man still did not respond at all. So finally, a Secret Service man went over to this man in the, in the robe and the, holding the staff and the flowing hair and said, Sir, President Bush has asked you a question. This is a former president of the United States. Will you speak to him, please? And the man said, last time I talked to a Bush, it cost me 40 years of walking in the wilderness. I'm not going to talk to President Bush. That was, that was Moses' experience in Exodus. Can you imagine walking up to a burning bush and all of a sudden, the Lord said to Moses while he's standing there in front of that bush, God says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I'm aware of their sufferings. So I've come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up to that land, to a good land, a spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. And now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel have come to me. Furthermore, I've seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. What a call. What a call. You can imagine what Moses felt like following that kind of call from God. In Elijah, in 1 Kings 18.1, we see Elijah, and it says, Now it happened after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. Now remember, Elijah was the one that had already told Ahab three years ago, It's not going to rain again until I say so. So Elijah was probably a little, a little hesitant to go see the king again. But God called him to do that. Remember when God called Jonah and said, go to Nineveh. And many of you remember Dr. Joel Gregory's sermon about that. His sermon was very, very simple to remember. God said go, Jonah said no. By the way, your pastor called Dr. Gregory to see if he could preach this morning, and he was out of the city, and so uh, he could not do that. And boy, we all regret that, don't we? That was another one of those unanswered calls that, uh, that we have this morning as we're talking about calling. You remember Simon and, and, and Andrew and James and John? In Matthew chapter 4, it says they were walking by the Sea of Galilee, two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It says immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left their boat and their father and followed him. Jesus calls. Jesus called a, a tax collector, a guy named Matthew, who was sitting in his tax office. And Jesus says to him, follow me. And he arose, and he followed him. 
Remember that road to Damascus when God called Saul. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? So we're reminded that God calls us. God calls us on his own timetable. We, we know that. How many of these people in the Bible do you think were just kind of sitting around and thinking to themselves, this would be a good day for God to call me. I hope my phone rings and it's God. I, it, would, it would be a good day. If you think about the timing in Abram's life back in Genesis chapter 12, actually look in a, a few verses earlier in verses 30 and 31 and 32. It tells us that, that um, Abram's father had died. And so it was right in the middle of that timing, a time of grief, a time of loss, a time of uncertainty, and a time of just not knowing what to do next, that God calls Abram. And he says, leave your country. You're going to be a stranger in a foreign land. Leave your relatives. Now, not just your in-laws, but the relatives you really like. You're going to, you're going to leave them all. Leave your father's house, which is part of your inheritance. And we, we have the, the picture in this passage, just like we had of, of these fishermen in the New Testament, of a guy who doesn't hesitate. He leaves everything, even though it's his livelihood and his life, and he begins to follow Christ. You know, I notice in this passage, God calls Abram both to be and to do. He tells Abram, you're going to be, and he says here, the father of a great nation. You're going to be blessed. Your name will be great. You will be a blessing. You know, God calls us to be, then he calls us to do. God calls you and me, and that very first call he makes on our life is to become a child of his. You belong to God. He wants to invade your heart. He wants to be your Savior and Lord. That's why we talk so much around this place about the good news of Jesus Christ. God loves us so much that while we were yet sinners, we, we went our own way. We decided to turn our backs on God. He loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son to, to live for us a perfect life and to die in our place and to rise again that we may know him. That's the call that God places on our life very first to say we are his. That's not a spam call that we can easily disregard. We are his. God called Abram to be and also God called Abram to do. He said, you've got two lands you're going to choose from. You can stay home in your father's land or you can come with me. Now, the interesting thing is we get a picture in chapter 11 of all the things that Abram had at his father's land. He had all of the cattle and all of his dad's things. Uh, his dad did very well and flourished in that land. And God says, or you can go to a new land. Now, it's, a, it's going to be a, a nice land. But you don't even know where you're going when you step foot out of Haran. And God uses that word here, go forth from your country. That it's translated, move on or get going. It's literally take a step and then the next step and then the next step and then the next step. And sometime along the way, I'll tell you where you're going. We see Abram here accepting God's call. Now, just as we look through Scripture and see all kinds of people that follow God's call, we can look through Scripture and see all people that missed God's call. You remember the scribe that came to Jesus in Matthew 8 and said to him, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. 
And Jesus said, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another one of the disciples said, Lord, permit me first to go bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. The basic idea here is to count the cost. It's almost like a child in a grocery store counting his money to see if, if he or she has enough to buy some candy. Um, count the cost. Don't involve yourself in God's business unless you're willing to count the cost. Remember that beautiful passage in John 6, 66? It's, it starts out not so good. It says there that um, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew. This is Jesus teaching and preaching. It says many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Then Jesus turns to the disciples and, and says to them, you do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter stood and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You're the one that has the words of eternal life. In the midst of this mass exodus of people, Simon Peter got it. He heard the call, he heeded the call, and, and he followed God. We're going to have in the next few months and probably the next couple of years a, a project in our church. It's called the Bridges Project. Some of you may have heard of this project. A couple of years ago, our church joined with 13 other churches in the state of Texas, uh, congregations initiated by Baylor University to consider this idea of calling and vocation. Uh, the, the thought that God calls us to be and to do. And so we began working on that and we've discovered so far that many adults come to the end of their work life, their work careers, and they've never really had a good understanding of calling along the way. Many of those adults have thought that their job was their calling, and they get to the end of their job and find themselves wondering, what in the world am I going to do next? I've lived all this time for my work, and my work is no longer here. So we're going to be trying to help folks around this place understand that God's call on your life is your vocation. That's what, that's what you do, you live out God's call. You just do that at work, you do that when you go to the grocery store, you do that when you, when you keep your grandkids, whatever it is you're doing, God's call on your life is your work. That's your vocation. And, and first he calls us to know him and to serve him, and then we're to live that out. We're going to be through this Bridges Project teaming up some retired adults with some younger adults, and we'll be talking about what work means and how to live for Christ in your job and sharing about how First Baptist Church can, can help you change the workplace that you're in. And it's going to be a real neat blessing. Our mission statement for this Bridges Project is to deepen and enrich the lives of Christians by equipping them to discern and live out their callings. You know, calling is a, is a big word. And all through this passage, we see that, that God calls. There's a second thing we notice as we scan this, this passage, as we continue on. Look in, look in verse 5. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Iran. Abram took Sarai's wife and Lot his nephew and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they sailed it for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the side of Shechem to the oak of Moray. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. 
Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. In this passage, we see two times on this journey, at least two times, that Abram set up an altar as he travels. So why did Abram set up this altar to worship? You know, it's, it's really, it's not like a guy to be on a journey and want to stop for something along the way. Guys, you, you know how that is. We don't want to pause and get out of the car and take our time. If we're going somewhere, we want to get there as quickly as possible. In, in, in fact, we make sure that no car passes us on the right or the left while we're, while we're on the way there, guys. You, you know how we are. And yet we see Abram, who wasn't even sure where he was going. So that would make him want to even go faster. And he pauses and he worships. Why do you think he paused and worshiped? Maybe because he was thankful. You know, it was a 500 mile journey from where he had started to where he was. And he was thankful for God's protection. Did you notice earlier said the Canaanites were in that land? Now those Canaanites, I'm guessing, probably didn't walk up to Abram and say, hey, we're glad you're here. What can we do for you? Those guys were saying, don't use my water. Those are for my flocks. Don't use my land. In fact, you just move on out of here as quickly as possible. And yet he was worshiping because God's protection. And he was celebrating that covenant gift that God gave him. Remember all that God said he would do for Abram? I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you. Your name will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. He paused to say, thank you, God. And he celebrated that call from God. You know, that covenant that God gave Abram was one of relationship and redemption. You're mine and I'm going to have a relationship with you, and I'm going to redeem you and save you. You know, that's our same call today. That's, that's our same relationship and redemption. That's our same covenant with God that, that Abram had. We live it out a little differently than, than Abram did, but God created us to be in perfect fellowship and harmony with Him, and we go our own way, and, and God loved us enough to send His Son. So, so here we are back with Him. We celebrate once we know Him as Savior and Lord, eternal life. It's relationship and redemption. And so that worship prepares us, as it did Abram, to live out that calling. Sometimes we're so, so in a hurry to get where we're going we forget about the person who sent us. You ever gone to the grocery store and forgotten your list and you can't remember what you were there for? You ever walk in one room to the next room and forget what you went in there for? Sometimes God gives us a call, we answer that call and we go so quickly that we, we forget to pause and say, God, thank you for the call and God replenish me and restore me and remind me of what you want to do in my life. That pause for worship lets us refocus on the task. It, it lets us refocus on the God who sent us for that task. And so we, we put ourselves out of the way and we focus in worship on God. And when you live out your calling and then when you stop to worship along the way, you literally change the world around you. And that's what Abram did. One more thing, one more thing. So we have God's call. 
When, when we're walking along that call, that journey that God sends us on, we pause to worship. And then thirdly, I want you to realize today that God can use those sidesteps in your life. God can use those sidesteps in your life even for good. Look in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. A famine interrupts Abram's journey. And for Abram and Sarah, famine was certainly something that was not on their radar. It was unplanned and unanticipated. It was a disruption that they didn't count on. A famine was one of those things in that day that threatened your very existence. They were saying, why this? Why now? You know, for us, it may be COVID. It may be an unanticipated surgery or another health challenge. It could be the illness of a family member. It could be a job change, whether you want it or not. It could be school graduation that's delayed and you have the opportunity to retake a class that you really didn't want to take in the first place. It could be an accident or an injury or retirement that comes suddenly and without warning or changes in the financial market that makes retirement that comes suddenly without warning not very much fun right now in these days. There are those sidesteps that come in our life. They take us off the path. They delay us from following God's call. And we see that happen to Abram here. You know what, though? The good news is we can never sidestep and be away from God. God was with Abram here. God is with us when we have those sidesteps. Remember Psalm 139? The Lord is, 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 is doing a great work. And the psalmist says this, Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all. You've enclosed me behind and before, and you've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. Today we find that those sidesteps occur as we follow God, but yet the sidesteps, that circumstance around you, that famine that you're going through, doesn't have to change your ultimate calling. You can get right back on track. In chapter 13, verse 3, it says this, He went on his journey from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. We see Abram right back on track right back where God had sent him as he was taking those steps, step by step by step, not knowing where he was going, and we see him get right back on track. Now, just a side note, in that passage between verse 10 in chapter 12 and the end of the chapter, we see that, uh, well, let's just say it this way, Abram never claimed to be the smartest man in the Bible. Um, you remember who the smartest man was? Solomon, the, the most wise. It, it says in verse 11, it came about, this is still chapter 12, when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, see now, I know that you are a beautiful woman and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister so that it may go well with me because of you and I may live on account of you. I, I get this feeling that 
Abram looks at his wife and he sees how beautiful she was and he says something like this, God's got big plans for me. So I have to stay alive if I'm going to be the father of all these nations. I'm afraid these Egyptians are going to kill me and keep you for themselves. So let's just pretend like you are my sister. Can you imagine saying that, husbands? <laughs> Can you imagine saying that to your wife? If you know if you have a picture in your Bible on this page with Abram and Sarah there, he should have a big red handprint on his cheek where she slapped him. Uh, right here, said, be my, my sister. You know, I love my sister and um, she's been great. In fact, I remember the time I just got my driver's license. I'm riding around with my sister and we see a carload of beautiful girls and they're, I'm 16 and I'm tough and my sister's with me in the car. So I say, Roxy, duck, duck. And she starts going quack, quack, quack. <laughs> Didn't work out like I planned, but I've never imagined trying to pass my wife off as my sister. Abram, he, well, he recovered. Crazy thing is, if you turn a couple of pages, he did it again. <laughs> he did it again. He didn't, didn't necessarily learn from that. But if God can get him back on track after something like that, don't you think God can get us back on track too? When we take a sidestep in our lives, God is still with us. Sometimes like a passage like this where we see Abram doing that, we say, well, the Bible tells us what to do and the Bible tells us what not to do. And this is one of those not to do times. God is in the sidesteps. Even when we're stupid, even when we step off the track, even when we go where we're not called to go, God is there. There's a lot more in this passage about covenant, commitment, counting the cost. But for me, the most powerful part of this story is in verse 9. Look at, look at verse 9. It says, Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. Now remember, God called him and said, go forth from your country to the land I will show you. Abram was still kind of wondering he had no clue. God hadn't told him yet the land he was going to. And it says in verse 9, Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. If there's a good thing in this passage, I guess it's Abram didn't have to stop and ask for directions because God was leading him step by step by step by step. And Abram followed. I love this picture. I can almost see it from behind as I'm seeing that caravan and you see Abram, a 75-year-old man, taking a step and the next step and the next step and Sarah's with him and their children are with him and, and their, their herds are with him and he's taking this big caravan step by step by step following God. God calls and we have everything we need to follow that call. God doesn't call the qualified. God qualifies the called. He calls us and we follow. Abram's driving force in his life was to follow God's plan, no matter where it led him. Long dusty roads, famine and other pitfalls along the way, questionable judgment calls, but he followed God. Can that be said of you today? 
when your life on earth is over, what will be said of you? He was a good old boy. She was a beautiful person. He enjoyed living and lived life to the fullest. She was at church every time the doors were open. Or would they maybe say your passion, the compulsion in your life was to follow God's plan, to go forth. That was the testimony of Abram. That can be our testimony too. And Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. The Negev was that desert region south of Judah that had under five inches of rainfall every year, made Amarillo look like the promised land. And here we see Abram journeying on toward the desert. God calls. When we follow, we're going to worship along the way. And we trust God even in those sidesteps along the journey. Would you pray with me? Father, we've looked at your word today, and I pray that it's spoken to us some, some, somehow, some way to somebody this morning. Sometimes we don't listen well. We don't hear the call that you place on our lives. Today, you may be calling somebody to be a member of this church. Today, you may be calling somebody to accept you as their Savior and Lord. Today, you may be calling somebody for some kind of service right here in, in this congregation, or maybe somewhere else you're calling them to serve. Father, help us to listen and help us to worship you today. In your name we pray, amen.